0: Well, we're all uh, friendly uh, IT nerdy people around here. Uh, you know, some of us might know more about sports than others and things like that, which, which is fine. But essentially, we, uh, we, we know all the nerd lingo. And I was reading a, 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 a transcript of a podcast with the uh, the CEO of AWS, and he used a word that I, I encountered in the 90s when I was a new programmer. And uh, it comes up every now and then. And, and when I was reading him say it, Not really because it was him, but just in the context of it. Which is to say, I don't know why this thought occurred to me, but it did. He used the word orthogonally. And I had this reaction to it. Uh, I I was thinking, you know, that word is cool, but I want to propose to to the fellow nerd world that maybe what we should do is stop using the word orthogonal and orthogonally in the variants and instead choose between the words different and unrelated. And and I just wanted to run that to that, that by you guys, like technically, you know, none of us are Andrew Clay Schaefer here. Who's going to give us an, an impromptu pickup math lesson. Uh, but like, <laughs> you know, orthogonally I think means at a 90 degree angle, which I think I, I believe if I remember my uh, uh, geometry that is perpendicular or a T-bone <laughs> to use the vernacular of a driver instructor um, and like, metaphorically the way that we use it is to say I think that it is either different or unrelated. But I don't know. What 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 do you think? Is my proposal going to go through the uh the global nerd congress?
1: But it doesn't sound uh nearly as advanced or uh, you know, I don't know, just it's not enough management speak. Don't you think that's part of just like mm-hmm. where, where the word gets a little bit of uh is, is it true? It's just like, oh it just you know, it's just like when people use big words and it's just like wow, look, look how smart I am. Like I just said something. Uh-huh. Uh, mm-hmm. that way and they just have okay. like a long math so i don't know i think that's where i don't know it, it feels like especially in the sense of an uh aws like writing and just communication style i feel like there's probably something uh that comes from it i don't know brian what do you think what are your what are your thoughts uh, on orthogonal
2: i mean it definitely fits in the yeah big big word smart person category i like t-bone i i, <laughs> I would like to see that take off it's, it's like there was that one there's that Seinfeld episode where George just decided he wanted to be called T-Bone, and then everybody uh-huh. else in the room thought it was kind of cool. I think, I think, yeah, Cote, I think you should chart. Steve
0: okay, okay. That. Well, well, let's 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 take it for a test run here. I'm going to read the quote uh, that. Uh, how, how do you, how do you? I, I don't want to mess it up, so I'll instead of embarrass myself. How do you say his last name? Adam
1: Sladky Slipsky. Slipsky? Sl- I say okay. Slipsky. Go for it, Dal. It doesn't matter. All
0: right. So here's here's what uh, AWS Adam said. Hey, he's responding to a question and, and, and I love there. There's some good, uh, there's some good informal, you know, the, we'll get to this interview. He says, Hey, Amazon or any of the other big cloud providers, they thought they had a database business or they thought they had a storage business. But instead, I'm an AI company who does this completely different thing. I'm looking at the world T-bonish. <laughs> so now now to be clear that was a theoretic thing that an AI company was saying not what AWS Adam was saying right he was they're talking about the, the AI market and he's like this is how AI companies would be thinking now i didn't take the time to rephrase that sentence so you could put a noun in there instead of uh adverb uh,
2: it's like a it's like a T-bone shaped problem <laughs> we see the world as a T-bone there you bone go. problem there you go okay
1: okay Yes, yes. I just like you know because t bone it can mean so many different things. That's what's great about it, and it also like calls your attention. Like you have to actually figure out what you mean. Like t bone a car, like a car accident, like a uh-huh. steak, yeah. or just like just different. I, I like it, Cote. I think uh, although I can't ever see Slavsky saying that, right? Or Jassy. If Jassy was up there just mid sentence and he was just like, "Yeah, we t boned this," that would be that would be a great great moment. I, I get in, uh, in keynote history. I,
0: I think I think the way you might nounize it would be to say. That is a T-bone concept, or like you've got to you've got to use the T-bone to describe,
2: right? Like the, the, a that's
0: t thinking, mm-hmm. or something like that. Like it's it's a T-bone positioning. Yeah. Or,
2: yeah, or you could or you could use it the same way that people talk about like uh like let's let's take it aside or let you know like that, uh, that's a good let's soft. T-bone let's, it let's T-bone that you know like, <laughs> let's set it aside for now. Oh, that's
0: <laughs> good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. See, it's it's through it's through uh, just at, like Amazon. It's through this open, challenging debate that we arrive at the best uh, conclusion, which is it's 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 like a parking lot. Like right next to the parking lot is the T-bone. So we're going to T-bone it. <laughs> that's
2: <right.
0: laughs> that's hmm, let's see how we, that's, if 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 a car is leaving the parking lot and it runs into an unrelated thing, you've T-boned. I, like I, I think. Hmm, hmm. Well, we should we should introduce uh, our our guest. Uh, co-host brandon who do we have with us today
1: we have brian graceley good friend of the show friend of the cloud cast friend you know person uh the biggest wake forest fan we know so brian welcome to the show yeah, welcome back to the me. show in fact
2: it, it, thanks for having me i feel like i am sort of disrupting like the natural you guys have this whole like multi-continent thing and i i feel like i'm <laughs> skewing it a little bit but i i appreciate last minute filling in for matt uh, i'll do my best i'll do my best to. Sort of talk about uh, obscure technologies as if I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that would be perfect. Sorry, it,
0: in, anytime something feels maybe something you want to talk about, don't worry about it. If you feel like it's uh, orthogonal to uh, to what we're discussing, <laughs> you can totally t-bone up this episode. <laughs> I well, I, I think you know, no, no need to worry. All our, our minimum requirement is to have uh, at least three time zones. So I think okay. uh, I, I think we're, okay. we're settled. We there.
1: accomplished that. that. that That's fun. a good point. Yeah. Okay.
0: And also, I would like to add that we uh, recorded an hour earlier than usual. So uh, this lineup, I'm loving it. It's great. <laughs> I, I get a little bit of, of extra time. Uh, well, uh, before we get to uh, the to, to pick a topic that is, I don't know what a 45 degree angle uh, T-bone is. Maybe we could call it a, um, acute? a
1: an acute topic.
0: We we could call it. What do they call the uh, when you have a chicken leg and a thigh attached in Australia? We've learned that there's a strange name for that. Uh, but to to use something that like it's it's not a T-bone. It's more like uh, just at a 45 degree angle. Although I guess I guess a chicken thigh and a chicken bone are. Uh, what are your triangle types? You got the acute and obtuse.
2: Could so be like anyway, fro- could be like a frog leg.
0: <laughs> okay. Yes. Once again. Okay. So it's frog leg frog leg related. Uh, you know, further in one of our favorite topics around here and, and also in the cloudcast, the, uh, and, and you covered this quite a bit recently, uh, Brian, but there was the, I, I, you know, we need to come up with a new phrase of it, but let's, let's say the, the further aging of open source, near, nearing the, the so-called quote unquote death of open source, which of course, I mean, I just want to disclaim right away. That that phrasing is always absurd. What, what what whenever you declare some technology dead, what you just mean is it has changed a lot into something else or been mostly replaced. Its importance, its the the way we used to think about it has changed dramatically. Right? Like I, I I'm sure we all remember when uh, I think Microsoft Office uh, has been dead many times, and uh, <laughs> that is is never happened. So. Uh, you know, I, essentially what happened is another company, HashiCorp, everyone knows. Is it core or corp? I guess you say corp. I think it's corp. Okay. So you have HashiCorp. And uh, they, uh, I think, as always, Brandon, and now Brian, correct me where I get the details wrong. But they moved from the Mozilla license to a BSL license, uh, which I'm not a, I'm not a, a legal expert or anything. But I think the license they moved to is we don't want the big cloud providers to take our money uh, as as far as i can tell that's pretty much what those licenses are and um i don't know i i i was thinking about this uh, ahead of recording and i was thinking like this this sort of sh- as i was saying last episode shifting of norms in the open source world to as matt ray might say it's not open uh like it almost seems like every time I read the quarterly reports for the public cloud vendors and it's like, yep, seems to be increasing. Right. <laughs> like, like I I'm, I'm not sure it's, it's like a, it's like a force of nature at this point that open source businesses are almost like trying to figure out how to eliminate competition as much as possible. And uh, I think,
1: I don't know, maybe another way to think of it is, you know, cause I, you know, the, Lots of people have written about the BSL or the BUSL, depending on you know which oh, uh, way you. you want to think of it. And I think the ne- I think the net net of it is just sort of like, and and maybe this is the moment right where we can't say things have shifted. Is just sort of like, hey, if you look at venture capitalists and public investors, we just kind of think about that mm-hmm. people that invest in these companies, right? I think one way to think of it is that that group of people ultimately believes. Or is basically, you know, kind of like saying to management, like, "Hey, you need to make more money." And the distinction there is that people believe by providing the open source version only, right, and not having any other like way to, if you will, prevent other people from making money off it, is ultimately, you know, putting a drag on their earnings. And I think that's where yeah. all this comes right, from, right, right. So those yeah. companies, so and it's not just HashiCorp. We should go back and say there's like a whole bunch. There's probably like four or five. And so. All of those companies that are facing those kind of pressures, I think at this point, I mean, I do kind of feel like at this point, we just sort of need to accept it, right? That Mm -hmm. they are ultimately going to be faced with making some decision like this. And it seems pretty consistent that they feel like ultimately to make more money, they need to have some type of limitation, right? Um, And so the only other alternative to that is I think Adam Jacob is probably the one I see kind of advocating this the most, right? It's sort of like the other side of that would be Something like, no, if we make a great open source project, then ultimately what happens is it becomes super popular. Other people make money, but it's the whole idea of like rising tide floats all boats, right? And we do that and everyone makes money and then we end up making more money. But- I don't know. And it's, I love you, get Brian's son in this. Like when, <laughs> when I think my own personal experience recounted on the show many times uh, <laughs> where I've been, you know, in the mi- midst of doing it, it has not worked out that way, right? <clears throat> After a- any amount of effort. And it's been very frustrating. So like when I hear Adam say it, I sort of like nod, but I think to myself, this doesn't usually work that way. So I get where these companies are coming from. Even if you don't like it, I understand the pressures. I don't know, Brian, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I... I... I think my, my favorite my, my favorite internet phrase around, around open source is always when somebody chimes in and goes, "Well, they just need to build a better product. They need to build a deeper moat." And you and you kind of want to go. There is no moat. Like inherently, none of you hmm. guys want a moat around your software. So yeah, it's uh, uh, I don't know. It's we love we love the idea. I guess I think the thing is we love the idea in software or yeah around this stuff to just. Ignore anything that has to do with risk, right? Like take take all concept of risks out of play. We love that until somebody says, yeah, I, I would like to make some money for my efforts. And we all sort of seem to get that concept, except when it comes to you know using software. So yeah, I don't know. I I, I mean, this is definitely like a reinvent T-bone, T-bone moment, right? Everybody, <laughs> everybody is like, I'm going to get reinvented. And so I'm going to T-bone and shift to not let them, let them, you know, take uh-huh. my business. Like yeah, that's, yeah. It's, 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 I mean, maybe the way to think about it is this, like they didn't, they didn't really shift their license. They just ended the free trial period. So instead of like a 14 day free trial, they had like a seven year free trial and they just decided to end that. And you shouldn't be upset about it. You should be happy for the experience. Don't be sad that it's over. Be, be happy that you experienced it. You know, I think the one
1: place that people get in trouble. And this is the part where I think as we kind of like, if we're, if we are kind of in this shift from kind of like, you know, it's going to be free forever. Everything's great, you know, open source now, open source forever. And I think what happens is it's just kind of back to the old defaults lifestyle. It's like people get used to that. That's what they expect. Right. And now we're kind of living through this change. Whereas, and this was, and this is what I'm interested in going forward. It's sort of like, maybe this will give more of the companies, if you will, the, I don't know, the, the confidence, if you will, to just declare up front, right? Like if I'm a company and I'm starting today and if they choose to be open source, they should be clear about why they're doing it, right? Like if it's to like promote their product and get it out there, that's fine. But at the same time, they should be clear about like, no, we are going to ultimately want to make money and we're going to have some type of commercial license. Cause I think what happens is just people, you know, feel like it's never, you know, rightfully or wrongfully, it's just sort of like assumptions. Like you always make, you know, again, like as the old saying assumptions, right. It always get you in trouble, but, you know then I think that's the friction right that's the friction point now and so maybe going forward if people I think were and I just think like to me the shortcut as I've said on the show many times is like if you're a company you've taken venture capital and you're pursuing what you would hope to be an IPO or a public markets outcome, then I just kind of assume that eventually along the way is going to be some licensing changes right like I just sort of embed that in the way I think of your company but maybe if people were more clear it it would be um, kind of keep people from being so frustrated when it when the change happens what do you think Kote?
0: Yeah. You know, I think, I, I I think when, well, we, we, we've discussed this so much over the years. And, and so like, what I try to think of is a model to like run in my head to know when the game is over <laughs> or, or, you know, you know, when, when the open question is solved and like the model I'm, I've been formulating in my head recently around this is like, so let's say we divide broadly speaking being open source as a company into two parts, two reasons you would do it. One of them is what we've been talking about more or less, which is like the business of it, right? So if you want to be um, in the programming and infrastructure business, uh, the wisdom over the past 10 years would be maybe 10 or 15. I've kind of lost track of when 2008 was. But like, you should start as open source, right? And then you can go into the like Byzantine bramble patch of like open core versus this thing versus whatever, right? You can like debate all those kind of like narcissism of small differences things. So there's like the business of it. And it seems like a lot of what we've been seeing in the past, I forget when the elastic thing was, but let's say two to three years is kind of like shutting down that business part. Being more or less like you don't really need open source to be a business in in this space, especially because of like, you know, you could just get stuff as a service, whichever, you know, uh, S, P or I you want to put in front of that or whatever the 15 things that Gartner has is. Um, And like, but then the other side is like the production side of it, which is. So again, in our area, if you're going to be developing cloud software, which is to say not SaaS, when does it become possible to have, let's just pick the most recent, like a product like Kubernetes become as successful as Kubernetes without it being open source? So like, what's the constraint you're operating in? If you want to introduce some new technology, which could be productized or not productized, or we need a model for like, there's a consortium. We need a name for there's a consortium of people or a community of people who make an open source product and then they commoditize it kind of like Kubernetes has been done. Maybe there's some word for that, like the web. But like, like at what point do we say you no longer have to do open source to get a Kubernetes like success as far as adoption usage and, and desire around something? And I think like, it's that second one that like pragmatically that's where the focus is because the whole business thing, like, mm, that seems like it's about ready to come out of the oven. And it's like fully cooked as far as, far as that one's over.
1: Yeah. I guess, you know, it's kind of interesting, you know, Kubernetes side side of it is sort of like maybe what happened there, you know, and certainly Brian, you're closer to this than even me. It would be something along the lines of enough interested parties Got together. Now, I guess Google ultimately had its first say it was going to be open source, so there's one. But then enough um, interested parties sort of said, hey, listen, the only other option here is some type of Docker swarm. We don't want there to be a proprietary version of this. So let's all just agree that we're going to use some version of Kubernetes and we all have a way to make money off of it in some direct or indirect way, like hosting it or repackaging it and a whole nother set of products or something along mm-hmm. those lines. So, cause in that kind of scenario, it seems like there's enough, if you will, competition out there um, that that market bo- is both thriving and, you know,
2: people can kind of do what they want. What do you think, Brian? Yeah. I mean, there hasn't like, there haven't been that many Kubernetes kind of projects, right? Like Kubernetes kind of looks like Linux in the sense of like it got created partially because people were like, we, we need different infrastructure and maybe we don't want VMware again or we don't want AWS. No offense, Cote. Like we don't want the one vendor to do it. So we're willing to to create like a community around something. Like Linux was the same way. Like we don't want, you know, Unix or we don't want Windows. We want this other thing. We're really... But most of these don't really work that way. I mean, like most of them are like, it's it's a vendor who drives it. Um, yeah. They, I mean, it's almost like, like if you're trying to build a model around this, or let's say you're let's say you're a VC and you're starting today, and you were looking at this and you were like, should I fund this company's idea? I mean, I've, I feel like it's going to basically boil down to if if we if we sort of agree that like let's say 50 million dollars in revenue is a viable number to where somebody would have like an exit, right? Like they could get bought or they could consider going IPO. Will you spend more in money? you know, will you spend more money in operations to turn that software into a SaaS service or will Mm. you spend more money in sales and marketing to get to $50 million? Like if you could do that kind of math, then you might say, for example, like, should I open source this thing? Um, Because that, I mean, open source is just a replacement for basically free marketing, get the market and interested in my thing, build up a brand. or, Or you say, this is complicated enough software. The real value is in, me operating it for you. Um, and and then we go ahead and do that. But like Terraform is one of those ones that's like, it It looks probably more like Kubernetes, like it's sort of new infrastructure, like it's a replacement for Ansible or a replacement for Chef or a replacement for Puppet. Lots of people would like to have something like that. I think Adam even said that, like it'd be nice to, or I know the Pulumi guys were like, it'd be nice to just like a common cloud language. So it kind of fits in that, you know, broad, you know, wide platform thing, but it was only ever adopted by one company, which is the weird part of it. Like Kubernetes and Linux had lots of companies. Mm. Nobody, you know, nobody was ever like a 15% contributor to it. And I don't know if that was because they wouldn't take pull requests or whatever, but it, it does feel a little bit unique in that it's sort of single vendor led, but, you know, eight years into it, we now have all these companies that are trying to build businesses on Terraform. Which is a little a little different in the dynamics of it
0: yeah but yeah you you know you you raise a a third thing, which, as with most third things, are not sort of uh the universal decisive thing but but a, uh, a orthogonal thing to consider uh, <laughs> which is which is I, I, I to divide things up into two, like when it comes to uh i don't know this pardon the phrase technology innovation right? There's almost like, there's at least two, if not three phases of of the business side that you have to pay attention to. And you hit on the first one, Brian, which is uh, your venture capitalists need an exit. And so whatever it takes for you to do to get to that exit point is the first phase of your life. And that could be being acquired by another company, IPOing, it could be shutting down, it could be selling off to a PE firm, but like, you need to get as much as possible for whatever your investors want as a return. Right. Uh, and then after that, you know, you, let's say you become a, uh, there's probably a phrase for this, your own company. Like you still obviously like have to, uh, show value to your investors or your shareholders, or if you're a private company, whatever you have, but you're sort of like, you're beholden to those things running on yourself. And then of course there's the, the in state, the, uh, you know, when you go to the, 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 the retirement home and then eventually the the PE hospice firm or something like that. Um, which, you know, it's, it's the natural life cycle of things, uh, which is fine. But I, I think, I think with the open source thing, it's especially important to pay attention to that first phase, right? Because as, as, as you both are alluding to it's, let me see if I phrase this right. I don't know the easiest way to get viral adoption, if people still say that, but to do like marketing and get get developers and infrastructure people to use software is to make it freely available, easy to get started using, and then probably open source, right? And so it's almost like, well, in order to get an exit, if we don't actually have to like be profitable, why don't we do that? And then once we move past that milestone, not my problem. Right. Like that, that we'll figure it out past that. And so like, if that perception, I mean, if I'm kind of like, that's kind of like a nefarious tinfoil hat perception of things, but like if that kind of model changes, then right from the get go, there's no motivation to do open source stuff. Right. Because like, I think, I think a lot of what these changes in open source stuff business models show is that if you're in that phase two or three of your life, it's difficult right? Like, you almost want to be like, I wish we hadn't have open-sourced this stuff, right. but had the same success.
1: Well, <laughs> well to, that, um, to that end, a couple numbers. Are, I don't know if this is a good comparison or not, but I kind of pulled some stuff. I was looking at it. So, if we think of Sh- Chef, Ansible, and Puppet sort of as sort of that mm. DevOps config management, that sort of, you know, that that part of, uh, I don't know, however many years ago, 10 years ago when that started, I think of the companies that directly preceded that, that they sort of replaced, would be Blade Logic and Opsware, right? So, I went back Absolutely. to looked. So, BMC yeah. bought BladeLogic for 800 million, and uh, this is, and then this other one. Every time I see it, it just shocks me. HP took um, bought Opsware. This was the Andreason Mark Andreessen, uh you know company at the time for 1.6 billion. So just kind of do the math there, right? That's 2.4 billion dollars of exits just amongst those two companies. And I think even at the time, I felt like people weren't that happy with the, <laughs> those products. I mean, maybe that's revisionist history. And then you think about. Chef, Ansible, and Puppet, you know, and so two of those went to private activity and one went to a strategic vendor. But, you know, when you add that up, I don't have, I don't think all those numbers are public, but I think it's significantly less. I don't think I'm breaking any news there. And it's sort of like, you know, it it just sort of kind of like, if you will, it's kind of the stark reminder of like, okay, well, you know, Chef and Puppet, like, would, you know, if, you know, what's the uh, alternative history? If they had started just down the road of like a more traditional uh, proprietary version, does their exit look something more like this, something like the 1.6 billion, or was it, you know, just meant to be? And of course, Terraform, a different situation, right? You know, or HashiCorp, they've made it public, very successful. They've had the billion-dollar outcome, and now here they are switching it. So I don't know. This is kind of back to that Adam Jacob kind of question. It's just sort of like, I don't know. You know, I think, I don't know. You know, Chef certainly got sold, was successful. Same thing with Puppet, was successful in the sense of like, hey, you got a company, it got acquired, it got to some some level, but not nearly as successful, I think, as the venture capitalists and the people that invested in it and wanted it to be. So I don't know that is kind of the harsh reality when looking at this. And I think that's kind of where maybe HashiCorp is at. It's like, you know, the harsh reality is that even though they are really successful and they have made billions of dollars, they're still going to live on that same treadmill everyone lives on. They have to grow, right? They have to like make money, they have to build a roadmap, they have to do all those things. So, so I get where they're coming from, even though it's upset so many people.
2: Yeah, mm. it, I, the one thing that would be interesting to know. Maybe like maybe like Chris from CNCF or something would know this. Is like, and Cote mentioned this. Like, you don't have to open source something if your intention is just to say, like, look, I'm trying to to build awareness, and I just want a free version for you to do that. It, it would be really interesting to figure out, like, I don't know, take some number of the CNCF projects. Like, how many of them have like end user contributions versus like just vendors got involved and they wanted to start, right. you know, doing that. Because if that's the case, then, you know, we, we may just see a new wave of things that are just, they're just freely available and you don't have to, I mean, because if they're freely available, you know, there's always the risk that you have of like, I love this tool. And then it becomes, you know, becomes for, for a fee or something, which, you know, is sort of logical for, for anything, but like. Then you, you know, then you just have sort of the inherent, you don't have to like write a new license to say like, Hey, I, I changed things on you. You just, you know, you, you figure it out over time, but yeah, it does. I don't know. I, I feel like HashiCorp is probably a little bit unique in that the timing of their IPO, which was a couple of years ago. So that puts a pressure on them. And then like, they never had this problem until they started building cloud services And they probably had the problem that, you know, every company with lots of products and multiple priorities have, which is like, we would love to spend way more time building the cloud service, but we have to, you know, put 90% of our resources on selling the software because that's what still makes the money. And that's what, you know, makes the quarterly numbers. And, you know, I mean, like we had, we had the guys from, uh, from Confluent on, on, Cloudcast a few weeks ago and they said it took them like five years to build their their new cloud service, right? And huh, wow. they had to keep doing the other one as it went along. So it's like, does anybody have that much time to to go from software to cloud service? And you know, like when you have other priorities. And yeah, yeah, they, it's nobody really understands that stuff except for the business. It's
0: it's like your uh, your business can't get through the air gap. Like you can only right. be on one side of it. But that right. is uh, well, you know. Speaking of the other side of the air gap. There was also quite an extensive interview with AWS Adam that uh that, that came out recently on the the decoder podcast. And uh as as I was mentioning earlier, thankfully, there was a transcript so I could skim through it. Although it looks like it might have you know, I I was I, to to start with a meta thing, I was uh as as someone and the the uh all three of us who interviews a lot of people uh over the years on our podcast, I was kind of like trying to, uh, no pun intended, decode the interviewing style. Because as I was reading through it, we can get to the actual content. But um, there were very short questions, more or less, with very long answers. And, you know, a long answer by something you're bored about is not good. But I'm interested, right? So it was nice to read these, like, long answers instead of... and, And the questions kind of provoked things. But then I was realizing... Maybe they just sent these questions ahead of time and and, uh, he stuck to the questions, which uh, could work out that way. But but uh, so so that that was a good format. But let's let's uh, let's look at the content, though. Like what what do you feel like came out from this interview, Brandon? What's something novel and interesting that popped out for you?
1: Well, I think the things that were on there were a couple of the, you know, the uh, talking points. One is I'm always, you know, as everybody knows, like I'm always interested in like how far into the cloud um, Mm. AWS we are. So this time they said 10 to 15 percent of IT. So, so again, those playing at home. So okay, we've, we've been at this for 17 years. We are now. Let's just say if we're 10% through, right, <laughs> you got to do the math. And then if we said, uh, as I said before last week, I think it was like a $200 billion. and so we got to add all the clouds together. It's kind of a rough estimate. So that would say, you know, you know, Slepsky uh, kind of thinking there's a $2 trillion market here, right, for cloud. Mm. And that if we're 10% of the way through. And so I think last week I said, well, to we get to a trillion dollars would probably take us a growth rate of like, you know around 22% industry-wide, and that would only get you to a trillion. So if you're going to get to 2000000000000 trillion, we're either going to be this at a long, long time, or the growth rates are going to go much higher. Or, you know, as I think, Brian, you've you've kind of commented on many, many times, it's always in the best interest of AWS to always believe that, you know, that we've just scratched the surface, right? That there's always 90% of the market left. So it's not new, but it's sort of like, to me, the talking point is, I guess they've upped it from maybe 5% when we started really covering this to 15%. But I'd be interested if they ever willing to say like 20 or 30% because inside of this statement is always this kind of implied assumption that like everything is going to the cloud, right? All this like $2 trillion is going there. And it's like, you know, that's kind of the thing I think that kind of always trips them up. It's like probably, and this is kind of my day job, like probably not every single workload is moving. No matter what anyone says, that's probably not going to happen. I know, Brian, what was your take on that?
2: Yeah, I I I didn't see it. There wasn't anything new that he he kind of commented there. It was uh yeah, where it's it's early innings. He he tried to do the thing where he went, well, we're a really big business, but we're not a really big business. You know, we're we're 90 billion, but 90 billion's not that big. So, you know, watch <laughs> out, we're going to get way bigger. Um it, it was interesting. I thought he was sort of interesting in that we've always wondered if he really knew the business that well. Cause like Andy would talk for three hours during keynotes and and you thought, okay, he knows everything about it. There were moments where he, he sort of started going into some depth on some stuff. And then, you know, about five minutes into it, he would go back to just his talking points. And so you're sort of like, okay, he, you know, like Kote said, like, this was, this was a pretty, pretty staged interview. Um, But yeah, I, 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 the, the only thing that he, I didn't, kind of learn out of it. And I kind of wish I would. And he's probably pretty good at hiding. This is like, usually at some point, if you're going to do these long sort of candid interviews, you're, you're willing to say like, Hey, we're a little behind on some stuff, but that's, we're Mm -hmm. really going to prioritize that. And he, he made it out. Like we're great at everything. We're the best at everything. There's nothing we're behind on. And we're just waiting for our customers to tell us, you know, what to do next. And, and to a certain extent, like that's fine, except, I, I do sort of feel like that attitude is like, well, where is the AWS innovation? Are you guys just, are you just problem solvers or are you, do you, you know, can you see around the corner? Cause you don't make it out. Like you can see around the corner. Like Andy used to, to convey that. Like we, we know where the future is. I don't, Adam doesn't seem to say that at all. And maybe that's just cause it's not a good talking point.
1: And I'll tell you this, yeah. that part, all your comments, I think really come out during the kind of the uh ai machine learning part of the interview right because this is the most is the most classic aws answer of all because like i think it's clear amazon was a little flat-footed in ai like i just don't think there's any denying it right it's sort of like you look at what everybody's doing azure google i mean both of them are way ahead i mean it's just sort of stating fact i don't think there's anything but his immediate thing was no you're going to want multiple models right You won't just want one and Amazon is the best place to run these models. And then he kind of just gives you the laundry list of like every potential, uh, you know, llama anthropic, you know, just kind of throws them all off. Like everything can run there, but this is where there's kind of no depth, Right. And I also think, you know, I think this is kind of back to Neilai Patel, the guy that was interviewing him. I wish there was some pushback there because I think what, you know, that whole idea that like everyone's going to want a different model, I think it's a nice, like. You know, it's sort of a nice CEO answer, but you, I think there's a real thing to say, well, you know what? One of these could get good enough that, like, most people will just use this one model, right? Kind of like a search engine. It's like, sure, there's lots of different search engines. And, like, occasionally maybe you go to Indeed to search jobs, but really you're going to Google 90% of the time, right? And I think inside of this is, like, at least the potential that, like, hey, there's going to be some dominant model. Most people are just going to use that. And, you know, AWS really hasn't shown anything on that end, right? They're announcing models and they eventually will have them. And then finally, I think, too, he's like very dismissive of like, you know, credit to Microsoft and OpenAI for popularizing it because he just kind of gives the answer of like, we've been doing this for years. It kind of reminded me a little bit of like kind of my days at IBM where it's sort of like, oh, like we've been doing this for years. It's like, yeah, but like it it wasn't easy to see. We haven't seen it, right? Just saying like, like, oh, we have Amazon and we've been using this for retail. We've been doing this other ways. It's like. I don't know. It didn't it really ring very hollow to me. It's like, well, if you know, what's impressive is like showing everybody what you've been doing and letting people touch it, not just talking about it. So, mm. and I do think to your point, like there's a place I really wanted more depth, but it really, you know, he kind of got in there and then we just kind of went back to like, he probably listed, I said a few of them. He probably listed 50 different AI models. And I was, you know, at some point you're just like, you're just reciting a list. Like, I don't, you know, nobody knows what all these things do.
0: Right. Well well, you know, you know, uh I, I guess I'm depending on what you like, famous or infamous around here for this. But like I could have done with a lot less chip talk. It's just like chips. <laughs> Who the fuck cares? Right? <laughs> chips come and go. You can either make enough of them, they get faster, what's the price? Big deal, right? Like obviously it's more important than that. But like, yeah, it it would have been and then there was a little bit, of course, like ethics of AI stuff. But there is you know, you know, you know, you're you you two are throwing out some interesting thing there, which is if you are already doing this, why didn't you just put a chat interface on top of it? And like many people do have one now, but like, so why don't you do that? Right? Right. Like, like where's the focus on making this easy and cheap and understandable to consume, which I, I I mean, this is, this is a, a, it's hard to think what is good and bad in this area but it's gotten to the point in the AI world now where there's almost, like, too much choice. And it's hard to kind of separate out, like, the uh, – you know, you, like, go to the the the, uh, the gas station, uh, especially in the States. Here they're a little more, like, uh, refined, no, no pun intended with sugar. But, you know, you go to the gas station and, and you've got that candy that, like, has a battery and you push a button and the lollipop thing turns around and it's, like, gimmicky candy and, like, weird stuff. And then there's just, like, you know – the uh, the bounty or the Mars bar, or the Snickers bar, it's just the good stuff, right? <laughs> and like, I feel like the AI world is now just like twirling lollipops. Like, it's hard to figure out like what is good and bad and stuff like that. So, like, there could be a little more like discussion of and 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 development from trusted sources of like this is like good high quality useful AI stuff uh, instead of all that
1: chip. Yeah, and I think the opportunity he missed to me was I think you, Brian, were leading this earlier. It's sort of like. You know, if you're going to engage in this interview and you're trying to get me to, you know, be excited or to listen more uh, closely, like you've got to say something that, I've, you know, that you've got to win, if you will, over some kind of like legitimacy. Movie. And so at one point, he talks about how they've been doing AI with Alexa. And like anyone that has used Alexa, like you, like, this is not good. You know what I mean? Like, there's only a few things you can do timer, weather, music. And it's like, it's just not credible, right? It's just a hundred percent not credible. And that's that's the point where I think you like really missed opportunity. I like if I was there, I would you know, and again, one of the eight million reasons I'm not a CEO of AWS would be something like, you know, say something like, It's been really impressive to see what OpenAI has done and how exciting they've built this new chat-based interface. And you would say something like, you know, we've done a lot of stuff behind the scenes, but we have not done that, and we are watching closely, and you know, here's our plans or here's where we're gonna do it, and like give something other than to be like, Oh, we've been doing this with Alexa because, like, we've all been using Alexa for years, and like, I'm I'm sure everyone's had the same experience. You never like, this is so yeah. great, you know, it, it solved my problem. You never have that feeling.
2: Well, and it's it's they, they you hear people talk about this a lot. Like, like Ben Thompson will talk about this. He's pretty good at at this. Like, at at the end of the day, everybody ends up being good at something. So, like, you know, mm. my uh, so Google is great at you know, they're, they're great at data and then, you know, like AI and stuff on top of data, but, but they, they're basically great at taking that and making it into stuff that just sort of takes care of stuff for you. So like maps is better because they do AI stuff behind the scenes or search is better because that, and then like Microsoft is, is very good at going like the thing you want from me is sort of packaged applications, right? So we're good at exposing packaged applications or Apple is good at, building devices, but they're not very good at building services. And, and Amazon or AWS has always been really good at being like, we are going to be great at giving you a toolbox, right? Like we're not great at integration. We're not mm-hmm. great at user interfaces. We're going to give you a toolbox and the toolbox is going to keep getting bigger. And so whatever you want to do, there'll always be a ratchet that the, that's the right size or a screwdriver that's, you know, you got 17. And he basically just reiterated that, like, we don't know what you want to do with it. But we're gonna, you know, we're gonna we're gonna give you all the tools. And it's a yeah. it was kind of a weird way of saying it because there's times there's times when Amazon or like AWS will announce stuff. It's always at the very end of keynotes where they'll do stuff like um, they'll go, hey, we've been doing this stuff inside of our factories for five years, and now we're announcing you know AWS factorization, you know Factory Plus, where it's like, oh, cool, you get automatic robotic stuff. So it's like. They have times when they're like, we're going to basically turn whatever we do internally into a service. It was weird that he was like, I mean, they're in a lot of really big businesses. They're huge in search. They're huge in supply chain. They're huge in, in logistics. They're huge in, you know, transportation and stuff. And then, which all those things I'm sure require like, you know, large language models and image models and other stuff to but they didn't, you know, they're not leading in any of them. Like they're not driving, which is kind of crazy for a company that has that much data and processes that much of their own internal data. Mm. They're not like, you know, like Facebook was like, here's the Lambda thing. It's based on stuff we do. Google's like, here's the Bard stuff. It's based on stuff we do. And Amazon's like, Hey, we have partnerships with everybody else's data set. And you're like, Hmm, you know, maybe it's just, I don't want to give my internal stuff away, but it didn't convey any idea of like, Hey, if you want to be in, whatever, like we've already done that for five years. We're really good at it. And here's, you know, here's the commercial version of it.
0: Yeah. 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 You, you know, I mean, there, there's two things. One, well, three things, one following from what you were just saying, like, I think my theory, which is to say, I'm not sure if it's true, is that, and I don't think this was in the working backwards book, but I feel like one of the unstated principles of Amazon is never create your competitor. Right. Like, and in mm-hmm. fact, they try to do the opposite of that. Like they try to find people who they can now compete with. Hence the first part of our show. <laughs> and, and and so like, it would be weird if Amazon, well, if, if, you know, following the logic of that theory, like if all the things that the whole Amazon is good at and has been doing for five, 10 years, they probably don't want to like open source their supply chain and logistics business, so to speak. Right and like, right. like how you would do that. So there must, not there must, but like maybe there's some limiter on that. And then that gets to the 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 second and third thing, which is like, you know, in 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 our corny way around here, like you're you're making me think that like Amazon is the opposite of the defaults lifestyle. They're just like there are no defaults. Right. Like it's everything that you can. I mean, to use the analogy, right? It's a uh, as they'd say over here, a DIY store or it's a hardware store, or like a Home Depot thing. And like Apple is the ultimate defaults lifestyle. We have made choices for you because they are the best. No questions, right? Like just like, but, and if you would like to use something else, we get a 30% cut, right? Which, which I think is a fair trade-off for that position. And then Microsoft is almost like, it's somewhere in the middle there, but I would almost position it as like, it's, it's a default lifestyle, just maybe not the one that you want when you know or it's it's a it's a toolkit that's available and so like i don't know that's some that's something uh fun there but i i think i think the third thing is that um like it 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 is like well i, I guess the third thing is that in case any of us want to get a job at aws it'd be good to say some positive things about the interview. <laughs> which is i i think one like when i was reading through the interview right like i was thinking like okay where where is this interview happening the questions being asked who's the people listening to it and i think the best part of the interview from that perspective is even though all three of us especially brandon like scholar of of how aws and amazon works like you read the 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 fact thing and the pr thing and the uh the customer first and the um the single stream thing. And you're like, yeah, 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 I get it. I I should be flossing my teeth three times a day. Thank you very much. Right. Like, (laughs) like no problem. But like that was said in a, in a pretty good way, I think for someone who hasn't read all all this stuff over the years uh, uh, stated. And then also, I mean, as pointed out right at the beginning, I think, I think even for us, the old hardened uh, business travelers and connoisseur of enterprise software um, marketing, I think the the discussion around airport ads fantastic. <laughs> I think I think that was well done, and I was just like, yes, exactly. That but that thought, is you know, the- were,
1: inside of the uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about the message side of it, the meta side of uh, communications or executive communications now. But like, I actually thought the most damning part of the interview right was um, when. The interviewer is right. and, and,
0: like, I'm never going to work there. So I'm just, yeah, well,
1: I don't know. I just, I this just, jumps out to me, right? I don't, well, Hey, listen, what is there's One of the management principles is about like, you know, uh, speaking your mind. Right. So always, that's yes. the one I always cite. Like when I'm like, oh, Hey, you know, I haven't thought uh, of that move. Okay. okay. Just, just um, mind. Because I was like, you know, it, cause the thing that I have in tremendous respect for is AWS and all Amazon executives are so on message. Like if you've ever mm-hmm. been to media training, they teach you how to do it. But these people are next level. Like everything is on message, right? But for the first time in a while, I've been like, you know, um, this was so on message that maybe it worked against them a little bit. And the reason I'm saying that is that in the interview, in re- reference to AI, he says something like, you know, we're three steps into a 10K race, right? And then after the long answer, Nei, the, uh, the interviewer in this case, says like, hey, my producer told me you were going to say that, Right. And I think as a, and and Slefsky, like he took it well. He was like, congratulations to your producer. But listen, I think that is about as big a shot you can take in an interview, like a body blow, like getting hit with the right hand and not seeing it. Because if I'm interviewing you and I can predict the talking points, right? That you're going to say, it means that like people are starting to tune it out, right? Like you're just always going to say X. So what is the point of asking you X, right? Now a communications professional would say, that that means your message is resonating. You're getting it out repetitively and people are getting it and things like that. But I think when the interviewer is actually calling it out in the moment it's happening, right? And because the rest of the stuff we all could predict. It was like literally, I have the list here. It was all the cliches, working working backwards, press releases, customer exception, self-directed teams. And it was just like, Like this, nothing new. Like, I mean, this is so, again, I realize I hear this a lot. So maybe it was reaching some new people. But like when he gets to like the places where you could really expand on it, like they have some awesome customers, right? He's got Ferrari in the NFL. I'm a sports fan and O'Brien's a sports fan, but he's got several others in there, like travelers as well. But when he's talking, he is literally just listing them. And I am like, man, you could tell great stories about Ferrari, right? Like I even thought to myself, does Slutsky even know, could he name the drivers of Ferrari? Like, does he even know who they are? Has he actually actually watched an F1 race or the same thing in the NFL? Like, has he watched like he should pick one of these out and like connect to it. Be like, you know, I was watching the NFL game and I was watching the field goal or I was watching the F1 race and like know something about it. But like he just says them so fast or like, pick something obscure, obscure, like I think Bridgewater. Huge hedge fund. Maybe he's into that. Like he could tell a story about that. Right. But it's like it doesn't you know, it just comes across across so robotic that I feel like he's kind of losing a little bit. Like you know, they say a great politician can like do the message, but connect, right? And it's just like I don't know. Like this is maybe where I think Jassy could, like Jassy would pause. He's a huge NFL fan or something. Like he'd pick one of these and tell you something interesting about it that you didn't know. And I just I don't know. I didn't. I felt like Slepski kind of missed that opportunity. What do you think, Brian?
2: Yeah, he. I, again, I think he. I mean, he was there at the beginning. So obviously he sort of knows the history of stuff, but you know, he's, he's now in the mode of like, I inherited this business that is far and away the most profitable one, one at Amazon. Like it's, it's not his place to uh, you know, go kind of go rogue, if you will. And it's a, <laughs> it's a weird spot. To, well, and it's a weird spot to be because quite honestly, like every time, like if he, if he had said, look, we are, we're twice as big as the next competitor, which, Hey, you know, once in a while, it's okay to actually mention the people you compete against, but that's fine. Um, we're twice as big as the next competitor. We're four times as big as the one after that. And we're 40% into this race. You know, that's when you can start being like, look, we are, we are really dominant. We're really whatever. But it, in essence, he's saying, look, look, we're on, we're on this side of the crossing the chasm, right? We're, mm-hmm. we you know, 10, 15%, you're on, you're on the left side of crossing the chasm. Um, and if you're, you you're just in the mode of like, I just say the same things over and over again. It does sort of make you question when it's like, if you, if you put that together with the, like you've become very repetitive and the people that are most worried about you are the open source companies that you're just basically taking their software from, or, you know, the projects, you know, I almost walk away from it. Like, are you still as innovative as, as you were before? Cause you used to be innovative of like, I'm going to take toil away from the old stuff. But now, if you're competing against sort of in a new game, like are you prepared to do that? Right, like it's sort of the you know wartime consigliere versus peace consigliere. I don't know. I you know he's only been through there a few quarters, but you wonder if like that's his personality or if he's just so jammed down by Amazon PR that that's just the way he's going to do every interview.
1: Yeah, I think you hit it exactly right because that's what I wanted. Because I you know kind of halfway through, I was like, this is like this is like a ninety percent jassy, right? And it did strike me though about. How similar Bezos, Jassy, and Sleps- Slepsky are. Like, maybe that's just like literally, you know, they're copying each other. I mean, there's like kind of like some mimic, but it is it is kind of amazing. Like, when they speak, you could almost just interchange any one of them, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas, but I think the only thing that's different is like Bezos is the most willing to say whatever he wants. Like, if there's something kind of interesting, he'll say something probably, you know, the most provocative. I think Jack, Jassy's like one notch, notch down, but I think he would say stuff, right? He'd say, and I think you're right. So probably got to be the most, if you will, um, conservative with his statements. And maybe, you know, I, and I think the answer to your thing about uh, Cote to go back to it is like, I mean, the flip side of this, and this is like a very good critique of what I've been saying is like, so just be like, hey, listen, you know, I'm running a 90 billion dollar business here. Uh, I think we're doing really, really well. This uh, all, all communication professionals think I'm kicking ass and like, who are you to question anything I've done? And I'd be like, yeah. It's probably a good point, right? And he probably will. Like, if he runs this business over the next 10 years, he will make hundreds of millions of dollars. I will unlikely make the same kind of money. And so, you know, I mean, I, there's, like, nothing I can say other than For that, sure. other than just watching it, though. But but I just feel like, you know, like, to me, it's sort of like, what's the saying? There's, like, there's no crying in baseball. Like, can is there no joy at all at AWS? I just sort of like, you have all these cool customers. You're doing all these cool things. Like, Like, don't you ever stop just to see, like, the thing that you're interested in, like I'd be at the F1 race. I'd be like, man, this is awesome. I'd be telling F1 stories all the time or football stories or whatever. And I think just inside of this is like, you gotta be something in there other than just like writing PR memos and things like that. Like go out and like really learn what your customers are doing and like be impressed by it and like have that come through your interviews. I mean, I would enjoy that.
0: Well, well, first of all, Brandon, uh, when it comes to yourself, uh, I think what you need to realize is that we're just three steps into a 10 K race when it comes to podcasting. (laughs) So I really wouldn't like sell yourself short like that. I I think, you know, you know Brian might be five steps into a five k five k race, but like we got to get past that water line, and pick some stuff up. They give out sponges nowadays. Just think of the pickup you can get from that. Uh, and and then you know I I think I think another like another interesting thing to think about with with the interview is kind of to a points points a lot of you two are making is so. If you were to read only this like what does AWS think its differentiation is like like what makes it unique right cuz like sure what was it 80 90 70 however many billion dollars like that's awesome right but but like like what what did they talk about what did he talk about most that is like different maybe than other people so the first thing is he was basically like it works right like we have better uptime which I, I don't know the studies, but like sh- sure, like you know, we, our our stuff breaks less often. I have no idea. Uh, so that that's always a good claim. Our right. stuff works better, and then you had them then, more
1: secure, right? Yeah, had they said we're a lot more secure, mm-hmm.
0: right, right, right. And 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 so let, let's 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 bundle that into functionally we're better, right? Like mm-hmm. like we have better the the way that we we run is better. And then I think we kind of talked about this already, but I, we talked about both of the two already. Like the other thing that like is interesting to think about especially in my world of like digital transformation or just getting better at stuff is like and y'all y'all were kind of making this point with like the how similar and disciplined people will be is they really do cherish their culture like he mentioned many many times about the principles and actually his discussion about how the culture applies and what customer first means was even more detailed than his little bit of detail about how they are helping the NFL with like tracking footballs and stuff, which I have no basis for this, but even I know I was reading that and I was like, I'm pretty sure everyone would say that's ruining the game, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's just an old person comment, right? Like maybe the young kids love it. Uh, but like, um, so, so there is that, like our culture, how we operate as a differentiating thing. And then there's, there's, there's what I think Brian you raised is that like, and I don't, I guess my, my, my trailing question here is like, would Amazon ever say we're a toolbox, right? Like, would they ever like really commit to like, uh, we don't really have opinions of how you're going to do this stuff. We'll just give you all the tools, right? So in contrast, I mean, the ultimate contrast is always is Apple who would say like, uh, no, <laughs> take it or leave it or give us 30%, right? Like, it's just sort of like, it's prohibitive to like think of the Apple platform as a toolbox. Like that's not what they want their customers, how they want them to think about it. Um
2: well, they I don't know, he, but but he, he that did. seems like
0: there are three key points there.
2: Yeah. I mean he did seem to distinctly go back to this idea that like there is no there's no difference between AI and the cloud. Like the cloud is AI and AI is the cloud, which is almost him doubling down on like and he did he did have some statement where he said, like, oh no, we're only one tenth of one percent into a 10,000 you know uh, yard race or whatever it was. like he that seemed to be the thing he came back to like we're not gonna mm. we' we've, we've spent 15 years defining the cloud. We're not about to sort of you know let somebody else redefine like what the cloud is. the cloud is it's an operating model and it's technology and it's this and it's that and yeah that, that felt like whereas like in, in the case of Apple in your, your kind of analogy, like Apple is just doubling down all the time on like human experiences. Yes, there's technology involved, but it's human experiences. And there's no end to what human experiences would be They're They're basically trying to say like, there's no end to what the cloud is. The cloud is, you know, the cloud is just this $3 billion future that right, you know, right. we'll all get to. Um, the, the only thing I thought was interesting and, and Brandon, you'll, you'll appreciate this. Like, who is sometimes you do these things like, you know, the PR people set up this type of interview and it's obviously kind of a, a giant softball and you kind of go, well, who's the audience for this thing, right? Cause it's, it's not the tech nerds. Cause other than, other than saying like, you know, AI wouldn't exist without cloud. Like as we've talked about for 45 minutes here, like there was nothing new in there Th- the, he's not speaking to wall street because wall street already knows what their numbers are and what they're doing and so forth. Like I kind of wondered, Who they think they were talking to, and the one the one group that I don't think he was talking to at all, but he should have been, was like, if I'm somebody from Amazon, you know, I'm I'm an AWS employee, and like football coaches do this all the time, they get out and they rant about stuff, like they'll say, oh, we were terrible in practice, and we're we're going to get killed by this team this weekend. Like he didn't convey any sense of like, hey, those of you working on AI internally with uh, AWS, get your shit together. Because we're like, he, he didn't convey that at all. Right, right, right. And so you wonder if like the AWS people internally are like, hey, man, we're doing great. A plus for us. He didn't, you know. And, and
0: like, you, you, you know, the only thing remotely like that that he did is, is, is uh, they discussed layoffs. Yeah. And there was like, you're making me remember there was a, a moment that was like kind of a level of, uh, if you'll pardon the, 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 the word, the phrase, the, the, the phrase, there was a moment of candor that I don't really expect. And like, it, it was like wrapped up and like a little marbled in, in how it was his said. But he basically said, we laid off people who we didn't think could learn new things, right? Like he, he was like, we looked at our businesses. We don't need this business anymore. I, I'm not quoting here at all. This is just the way I thought about it. Like we looked at the, we wanted to reduce them and we tried to uh, move people and give them new things to do if, if we thought they fit. But some people, they just didn't fit anymore. Right. So we, we couldn't like retrain them. And so that was like, I, I mean, and, and I'm, 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 uh, agreeing with your point. Like that was kind of the only other than the raw, raw stuff and we're awesome, which is always right. fine. But there, there wasn't the, um, uh, instructive criticism right. <laughs> of, of, of employees, except for that one moment, as I recall. Yeah.
2: And he didn't, the other thing is, I, I wonder, like they used to go after subtly, they would go after Oracle, like in keynotes, they'd be like. You know, mm. that, basically like that old database company or that database company that's auditing you. Like he could have he could have said, like, look, you know, I know people are enamored with with chat GPT, but let's be honest, like, you know, that's only come along in the last six months. It's not even homegrown technology from Microsoft. They don't own it. Uh it's, you know, prohibitively expensive. Like he could have, you know, taken one example of that and sort of been like, it, you know yes, it's a big deal, but we're, we're this much bigger than those guys. Like stop being so enamored with this, you know, kind of toy and, you know, look at, you know, look at the underlying, you know, things going on, which, you know, he kind of did by saying like, look, we have all the GPUs, but I don't think it came across as I don't think you understand how big our moat is because we have all the GPUs or because mm. we have whatever. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. And I think well, you know, where, where that came in, because I think on the AI side, like his talking points were clearly like they have the chips. I know Kote, you enjoy that part, right? <laughs> they have the they have every model, you know, every model known to man. That was the next thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, um, a lot of talk about data. Like we have the data. The data is here, right? And then, you know, and then secure, right? And then he kind of like made fun of uh, some of the people that aren't you know providing in a secure way and so that's all fine though but like if we're in a product pitch it's sort of like you've laid it all out now the way to bring that home right is to be like and you can see it here right here's what the company's doing it here's how you can try it here's exactly what we're doing in retail right and the retail experience is great whatever it is right you got to pick something up and like because that's your last proof point whereas I can go to ChatGPT and I'm like, you know, whenever it works, I'm always like, this is a miracle, right? Or Bard or whatever. And they don't have that. And that's the part that I think, like, to me, if I was like, I guess I am critiquing the, the, the press side is like, that was the complete miss because the cliches working backwards, press release, customer obsession, self-directed teams. Those answers were so incredibly long, right? To the point of, like, you know, I'm just like, I'm almost on like triple speed trying to get through this part, right? To like, to get him to finish that. But like, that's the part where, like, he should be giving that length of an answer to connect all the things he said and then give me something to go do, right? Go Mm. touch this, go see this. When you're watching this game, right? Watch this specific thing. And this is how Charles Leclerc is going to win, you know, the next race at F1, right? And it's like, that's the part I think is just hollow, right? So maybe they have it. Maybe just, you know, his talking points, he was stronger on the culture stuff. But again, that would always be back to like, do you, if you're stronger on the culture stuff and one of the cultural principles is customer obsession, but you can't talk to the customer in like an obsessive way, how they're solving a problem. Like maybe you're missing it, right? Even though you say it, maybe you're missing it. So to me, that's like sort of like, I don't know, the missing link in that whole interview was that to me.
0: Mm. Well, you, you know, to close it out, I, I, I've got two thoughts. One, I, I, I you know, j- j- just like you, Brian, and I'm sure you too, Brandon, like the first thing when I was reading this article is like, who is this for, right? Like you, you always like learn when you're in the content creation world to figure out your audience real quick. And like, I don't know, maybe like, like, so it was in The Verge, right? And that might be one of the only tech news sites left. That's not terrible. Like there, there, there's a few other ones, right? Like I think the register is still hanging out there and uh, you know, you've got good articles here and there, like the old, the old, uh, the old ZD net world of stuff like, or Ziff Davis stuff like has good stuff here and there. But like, if you wanted to be in like the tech world, if you wanted to like have beyond the tech world record, there wouldn't be that many places you could go. Right. Just to kind of like get that annual, like, here's the big interview thing. You're definitely not going to go to the register. That would be a bad idea. And they don't even have a podcast. So, so you're not going to be going there. (laughs) And I mean, there's really not, I don't know. I'd have to go check. So, so one, there's that like, and you know, it's a totally different thing if you go to the wall street journal or the New York times or whatever, Uh, But two, to that end, I want to suggest to the PR, or as they like to say nowadays, the comms world, that you need to introduce a new format. And I'm going to call it the three-hour interview, because I think what we really want is we want like a three-hour interview like this, right? But just lots of digging in and detailing, asking questions. We could even have an intermission. That's fine. But like, really, you want to just have as long an interview as possible where you can really just be like, let's talk about those chips. Let's go deep. Like <laughs> I forgot if it was a trillium or a titanium or a titunium. Let's just let's spend 30 minutes on that and just like really and we don't even have to talk the technology of it. But as as you 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 know, I think as you, Brandon, you were getting to, like, it would be a fascinating conversation to talk for 30 minutes about like what is the business strategy of I have all of the chips, right? Like, and what do you do about that? Or like, like the thing I would be curious about is like, so like, and if, this would be a no one would answer this, but it's sort of like, so if it's going to be a $1 trillion or a $2 trillion business, how much of that are you going to own before any trust lawyers come knocking on your door, right? So let's figure out like what the valid things are here. I don't know, so forth and so on. It'd be fun to ask those questions and have a three-hour interview. But if anyone's interested in that, I'm happy to help consult uh, and kind of figure out the format for that. That's As like they, he needs okay. to go on the
1: podcast and Brian can yes. ask all these hard questions. That's what That's, I like. Yeah.
0: No, I I just, I just think, uh, I just think, three hour interview. The only, the only constraint is that once it is to three hours, it just stops recording, like the old bright talk thing, (laughs) where it would just cut you off at the end of an hour.
1: It would be, uh, obviously, we love you know software defined talk, the cloudcast, the changelog. I mean, there are like long, much longer form technical stuff that people could ask a lot of questions. I'm sure he would feel like those were all beneath him, but like it would be interesting, like get somebody there that's really like. That's really followed it closely. Right. You know, like there are experts in it. It'd be interesting to like match them with somebody yeah. that really knows the product line. Well, I, I'd and, love and, them.
0: and, and, you know, we could even have some concessions as far as user friendliness. And we could be like, listen, it's going to be a three hour interview, but we're going to do it in the style of, of a, a Rick Rubin podcast <laughs> where we're very encouraging. We say good words. We might even start with a mindfulness session. <laughs> However, Just as he does, we are actually going to dig into the essence of things, ask a lot of questions. We're going to figure shit out, right? Uh, So I think that would be a good uh, format to explore. Well, speaking of figuring things out, Brandon, do we have any bureaucracy this episode?
1: We do. I got a couple things. So Professor Jeremy, uh, he's the official software-defined talk correspondent at DevOps Day Chicago. So this is his trip report. Um, So he said uh, Kubernetes is still hard. Yep, Check observability was in full force as on as a vendor pre, uh, premise. So got it. It makes sense. AWS was on the receiving end of many presentation jokes. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe he needs to go to uh, <laughs> DevOps day and uh, John Willis was there. Uh, still cool. And he talked about his new, is it Deming or Deming's book? I don't know. I don't know Deming. Deming, Deming. Deming's book. So, uh, so good to hear professor Jeremy's doing well in Chicago. Also, Um, In huge news, probably something that The Verge will cover, uh, the Software Defined Talk thread uh, hits 10,000 messages. So I know we have some new listeners here. So a quick uh, history here is uh, Matt Ray posted a message several years ago. Uh, I can't even remember exactly what it was. And some people responded to it as replies, and it became a thread. And uh, that thread has now taken on a life of its own. It's now at 10,000 messages. Anyone can join the Software Defined Talk Slack. And I don't know, we're starting to reach a little bit of some weird bugs. So you can probably find the thread. It may take a little effort. It may take a little bit of time to load. Uh, of course, you can't read it because we're on the free trial. So we have to wait till we get our free uh, or we're on the free plans. we we'll have to wait till we get our free trial.
2: Then you can go back and read all 10,000 messages. So, so, so here's my question. So the thread has always been free to, to Software <laughs> Defined Talk you know, Slack people, like at what point are you guys going to change the license on that one? Thread? <laughs> that's, that's a good point. We may have
1: to make it BSL. <laughs> uh-uh. We may, we may have to go BSL because, uh, I, I'm going to look into that. I'm going to look into see what, see what happens. So, uh, congratulations to everyone that's posted a message in the thread. And then finally, if you would like stickers as always, just send uh, your postal address to me at software, at uh, stickers at software And I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world.
0: I, I mean, that's a great accomplishment for the thread, but I feel like I read a report recently that engagement actually had dropped by 70% since its initial release uh, <laughs> and, and, and early usage. Well, there's yeah. several conferences coming up. Uh, August 21st to 22nd, there's Kubernetes Community Day Australia. Now next week, if I've done my math correctly, uh, August 21st to 24th in Las Vegas, there's Spring 1 and VMware Explore US. I've I've been doing some work on, uh, on the Spring 1 uh, keynote session It should be fun as ever. You you should uh, tune in and see if you can figure out which jokes I put in there lasted. I think there might be at least one. Uh, I'm not sure. And then uh, September 6th and 7th, I'll be at DevOps days Des Moines in uh, Iowa, checking out what's going on there. And uh, there's KubeCon coming up November 6th and 9th uh, in North America, somewhere that one's in Chicago, I
2: think. Yep.
0: And uh, there's also October 6th, going back slightly in time, is uh, Kubernetes Dennis Communities Days, Texas. And then, of course, our favorite, which I still need to go to one day, there's that conference, uh, January 29th. I think their CFP is open. But if you want to get a, uh, there's a few others I think I didn't mention, but if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 428, you can uh, find those out. And also, in my newsletter, which is available at newsletter.cote.io, I list out all the events and things I'll be doing, usually, unless I forget to do it, which only happens. I'm, I'm working on that. I don't always forget. Uh, but you can check that out at my newsletter, which you, sh- you should also subscribe to, uh, which I think is great. Now, with that, I'll, we'll, we'll do, we'll do uh, guests, uh, as we would say, in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, Advantage. That's actually not what it is. You win initiative, Brandon. I'm sorry, Brian. I did this last time, didn't I? But in reverse. You remember that? I I, uh, I I switched switch alls names up. Yeah. Anyways, with such searing great insights on everything, it's so difficult to keep you apart, you two apart. <laughs> Anyways. Good recovery. Brian, uh, um, what is your recommendation?
2: I don't, I don't have any great ones. I'm not as prolific a a, a reader or writer as you. By the way, Kote, I, I just noticed you came out with another 175-page book, so congratulations on that. Um, I'm not sure where you find the time. Uh, I have two quick recommendations. They're both newsletters they're both ai related uh one's called the rundown and one's called um prompts daily basically the rundown is this guy finds a bunch of good new ai tools sort of every single day or every three or four times a week so it's a kind of a good skim to find if there's anything that might save you you know half an hour a day and then there's another guy who does the prompts daily which is just basically if you want this sort of output here's a bunch of like known good prompts so Mm. kind of a kind of a quick and dirty way of of uh getting like productive AI stuff, not, uh, not the stuff that we talked about today about, you know, chips and other useless stuff.
0: How about yourself, Brandon? What do you recommend?
1: All right, a couple of quick things here. I uh, went and saw Oppenheimer with the family this weekend. It was good. So it, was, uh, it is, as advertised, three full hours. I thought it was a little slow at the beginning, but then I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was very well done, very well acted. Um, I'm scared. I will say this though. I'm scared to like recommend anything because like everything is eventually torn down and told to be false because I don't have that much history. Like I have only the basic history of like what went on. So I thought it was really good. I'm like, Oh, it seems like that's what happened now. I feel like in about six months, there's going to be a podcast that like just destroys this movie and tells me why everything is wrong about it. Uh, just like one of my favorite writers, uh, um, Michael Lewis. Uh, people are are starting to look closely at his book called The Blind Side, which I like. So now again, I'm going to have to, I'm gonna have to be, feel bad about reading that one. So there you go. So go watch Oppenheimer <laughs> before anyone tells you it's all wrong and it was bad. So go watch it, and enjoy it. And also just because like everyone's talking about Taylor Swift, I don't really have any Taylor Swift content, but I just wanted to get my prediction out there like others. Like I'm almost positive she will be the Super Bowl halftime show this year and it will uh, definitely destroy the internet because uh, I think Taylor Swift has taken over the world and uh, credit to her. So there you have it. Those are my two recommendations.
0: Yeah. They, they just got to use AWS. It can handle it. Has has better <laughs> performance than the other ones. No problem. <laughs> well, I, I think, I think, I think uh, what's good to remember about any recommendation you get branded is, is that like those who are satisfied do not speak. Like it's only people who are grumpy who talk. So like there's always, you know, I, I mean, I mean, I, I guess you could say I'm making a, a similar allusion to Nixon silent majority, which I'm not <laughs> intentionally, but like, just like you always got to remember whoever's talking is probably in the minority.
1: Because well, I think you're like, the one who started this way. We're you the one that said books could kill. It's like now that podcast and several others, it's just like everything, everything eventually gets destroyed. You're like, I feel bad. Yeah. About yeah. So.
0: yeah. Yeah. That, that one is uh, uh I don't
1: know.
2: They
0: it's good be- though. I
1: like it. I like it. Hey, listen, I want the truth. Anyway. No, it's,
0: it's, it's still good. They, they, they should institute a, a, a policy where it's like, we're only going to say positive things for 10 minutes. And just <laughs> like, and, and, and like that, it would be the most damning part of, of a review if they were like, I really like the color orange they picked for the book cover. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I think, I think that, that would be great. Well, my, I, I've got one, I've got a follow up. Someone asked, I mentioned uh, Bruce Sterling or Bruce uh, last week. And uh, that Bruce, yes, is Bruce Sterling. If I, I was saying he has a very uh, uh, unique and, and to my taste, fantastic way of speaking, right? Like, it takes a little getting used to. You're kind of like, is this – what's happening here? Like, does this guy know what he's doing? But, like, it, it's pretty good. And if you want to see some examples, just Google for, like, Bruce Sterling SXSW, South, South by Southwest videos – and uh, just look at his annual keynotes. And, I, you know, they're, again, it's, uh, they're, they're, they're pretty good. They're their own thing. Now, my recommendation, I'm actually uh, calling in remotely. I'm, I'm in a hotel. And uh, it's the first time I've stayed at the Elements brand of Marriott, which I want to say that Elements is maybe like the W Hotel of Residence Inns. Like, it's a similar situation where you have, like, you know, you've got, like, the kitchen situation. And it's intended for an extended stay as they say. And this one is brand new. It's in Zaud in Amsterdam. And I have to say it is probably as nice, if not nicer than most of the high-end Marriott hotels I've stayed in. It, and that might just be because it's brand new, but I think it's uh, it's pretty good. Now, the only disadvantages are going to be that it is significantly cheaper. Well, I don't know, at least a third cheaper than staying at like a Marriott or or a Westin or a you know, God forbid a JW Marriott. So if you're monitoring your minimum spend to reach your titanium elite, uh, re, re uh, qualification, that might be a problem, but you're definitely going to get the same night. So you pull up a spreadsheet and see if you can balance out the spend versus the nights. Cause I think it's pretty good. It's, it's not so bad at all. Well, with that, speaking of things that are pretty good and not so bad at all, You've been listening to another episode of Software Defined Talk. First of all, thanks Brian for being on this episode. It was great. I, thanks I was for having looking me. forward to it. And uh, you should check out, I mean if you don't know, that that Brian and Aaron do the Cloudcast. Uh it's .net, right? You can go to cloudcast.net. Yeah. It's uh you you've got he does he does fantastic uh, and I mean this in a good way. You know, he's sort of like the Andy Rooney of cloud podcast. He's got a good a good Sunday thing and uh, they are there are are always uh, in the prime, in the good time before the, the whole, why did Kurt Cobain kill himself, Andy Rooney?
2: Episode.
0: <laughs> like they're, they're fantastic. I, I look forward to them all the time. They're good stuff. So you should check that out if you don't listen to the cloud uh, cast. And uh, if you want to get the show notes for this episode, links to everything, lots of things we didn't cover, go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 428. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. <whistles> oh, you, you, you know what we should have as a, uh, to, to, give, to give the uh, post-producer Brandon some assignments here. I think uh-huh. I think it was Michael Neal. Is it Neal's? I, I, I apologize, but yeah, he, he got Neal, a, yeah. he got a screenshot of Matt Ray spilling his juice on his keyboard. That was priceless. It was it was fantastic.
1: Maybe we should make that some of the after show art. I don't know. I don't. Uh, it's not a really flattering. I don't. I hate to do that to Matt Ray. He's, oh, but okay. uh, maybe that's part of the. Maybe that's part of being the talent. Sometimes you don't always get to pick your
0: exactly. If, I mean, I, I think as Brian knows, if you're going to be in the podcasting game every now and then there's going to be an unflattering screenshot of you.
2: It's not good. I mean, you realize how fast you're getting old. Uh Uh
0: I think that is the enterprise IT experience of TikTok. (laughs) McKinsey rates it as not good.